All right, what is happening, everybody? This is your man, L. Jamal, coming through with another edition of Never Out of Bounds. Of course, this is the place where you can say what you want as long as you got the facts. Today, we got quite a bit to talk about, so let's get right into it. Of course, last night, uh, we had some Thursday night football action. We had an NFC matchup between the Bears and the Cowboys. Uh, the Bears pull out, uh, pull this one out, excuse me, 31 to 24 is the final score here. Uh, the final score here. Uh, on this season, the Bears are now seven and six. The Cowboys moved two and seven however they are still first in the, in the nfc east go figure uh let's break down the stats in this one for the cowboys on offense of course they were led by dak prescott who went 27 to 49 for 334 yards excuse me and a touchdown uh Ze ezekiel elliott would have 81 rushing yards and also two touchdowns mike gallup was a leading receiver uh, leading receiver for the cowboys with six catches 109 yards and Amari Cooper will bring in six catches for 83 yards and a touchdown. On defense, the Cowboys were led by defensive end Michael Bennett, who had four total tackles in a sack. Also, Dorian Thompson, the safety, who had 11 total tackles in a sack. And also, linebacker Sean Lee, he would have five total tackles to add to that as well. For the Bears offensively, they were led by quarterback Mr. Bisky. He would go 23 or 31 for 244 yards. He'd also throw for three touchdowns. He would also throw for a pick as well. He would also have he would also add 63 yards on the ground as well as a touchdown there as well. David Montgomery will be the leading rusher with 86 rushing yards. Wide receiver Allen Robinson will catch five passes for 48 yards and two touchdowns. And the other uh, the other wide receiver Anthony uh, Anthony Miller, excuse me, will catch a touchdown pass as well. On defense, the Bears were led by linebacker Nick Kiewitowski. He would have 10 total tackles. Defensive back Kyle Fuller, he would have 6 total tackles. And safety, ha-ha, Clinton Dix would have 6 total tackles as well. Uh, my takeaway from this one is I definitely think the the, the Dallas Cowboys have issues this year. Uh, defensively, uh, they I thought they would be a lot better this year, but... You know, it's games that they played a lot better than this, but uh, the Bears took a very early lead. It was a commanding, like, 20-something to, to zero lead almost. And I'm sitting there thinking in the back of my head, like, damn, this is going to be a very ugly game. Of course, um, the Cowboys were able to make this close. They would score 17 points uh, in the fourth quarter uh, just to make this one close. But, again, just not enough. This is not a team that can play from behind, and we're starting to see that this is not this is a team that needs to have at least a good 10-point lead going in to halftime and coming coming back from halftime in order to, in my opinion uh, to hold on to wins here because uh, they're struggling against offensive teams such as the Bears. They're struggling to outpace teams such as the Bears who we've already seen struggle and you know we already know the, the trials and tribulations of Mr. Trubisky this year. Uh, a lot of people have said this is his last year. He should be removed from his starting spot. So for the Cowboys to come out and look like this uh, specifically offensively and to not be able to match, match a team like this and to be able to lose a short a short um, well, a a yeah, a, 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 they lost a relatively close game like this. I think that says a lot more about the Cowboys, how bad they might be, as relatively opposed to how good the Bears might be. I still don't think the Bears are that great. This is a team that could still get blown out in the first round of the playoffs, but the Cowboys uh, are the real story here, and they're not that good. They really aren't that good. I try to give this team the benefit of the doubt. Uh, I'm going to say it starts with Jason Garrett. I think he needs to go at the end of this offseason. Well at, well, at the start, at the very start of the offseason. That's my personal opinion. Uh, but before we wrap everything up with the NFL, I'm going to go over my top eight pound rankings and also some... Also, three key matchups, of course, because uh, my teams in the top eight have not played yet. Nobody in the top, in my top eight at least, has played yet. So uh, let's break down the top eight real quick. At number eight, I have the Texans at 84. Uh, this team pretty much is in a position. I think they've already wrapped up the AFC South. Uh, I think the big question is now, uh, they, they did beat the Patriots next week. I think the big question is, can they win a playoff game? Again, we've seen, we've seen many years where the Texans may have had a good record. They come in there, they win, there, win the division and they just end up falling flake falling face first in the playoffs they've only had one first round victory and that was in 2016 the big question is can the Texans win the playoff game I think they're good enough to win this division I think they had that division already sewn up if I'm not mistaken they're gonna have to win in the playoffs at number seven I have the Packers uh, the Packers uh, they are currently first in the NFC North of course uh, again this team has a very middle of the road offense uh, in terms of 
I would say yes. Just middle in terms of uh, of just yardage, uh, in terms of their receivers, they're at, they're below average. The only receiver really catching passes there is Devontae Adams. That's a really huge problem. Uh, they have no real tight end help. I think they they were supposed to. Is it? What's his name over there? Uh, Jimmy Graham over there, the big tight end. He ain't doing nothing over there. He was there. He ain't doing nothing for them. Uh, to their defense, uh, their defense is a lot better, uh, a, a lot better uh, compared to years before. But, um, but for some reason, that offense has not um, has not followed them. Has not stayed as consistent. Uh, offensively, I believe in terms of rushing the ball, they're about 17th or 18th in the league right now. So they're a little bit below the middle of the pack right now. I, I don't think they did. Well, first and foremost, there's nothing that they do extremely well, and that's why they're near the bottom of my rankings here. At number six, I have the Bills here. I'm still a little bit iffy on them. They had a really good game against the Cowboys. Uh, they're going to have to beat the Patriots again. Um, I think they pretty much have a playoff spot kind of solidified, uh, but I think this team could possibly could possibly win that AFC title. It's a, it's, it's a stretch. I know people might look at me like I'm crazy, but... I think it's possible. I definitely think it's possible. At number five, we have the Saints here. They are at 10 and two. They recently uh, wrapped up the NFC South uh, last weekend with a win versus the uh, versus the Falcons. Excuse me. Uh, this team is a, is another team here that plays a little uh, plays teams a little bit close to the cup, uh, regardless of how the referees call the game. They keep a lot of teams in the game. Uh, I don't think that that's, that bodes well for them in the playoffs. I think uh, you keep you keep a team uh, you keep a team right there in front of your face. You make it easy for them to. Uh, again, snatch a win from you, regardless of what the referees might do. They play teams too close to the cup, in my opinion. They haven't blown it. They have not blown the door. They have not blown the door off any opponent just yet, and I think that's a concern uh, headed into uh, Week 14 and uh, subsequently into the playoffs. At number four, I have the Patriots here at 10 and two. What can you say about them? Tom Brady has definitely looked human the last or well, this entire season. Uh, however, uh, the defense has has really stepped up to the plate again. That's why they only have two losses so a uh, great defense but Tom Brady is human we have the Patriots here at 10 and 2 I think that 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 game against the Bills at some point in time uh, is definitely could go up in the air at number two we have I'm sorry at number three we have the, the Niners here at 10 and 2 as well uh, the Niners we already know about them we've seen them at their best we've seen them lose a couple games already um, you know, uh, in terms of that loss against the the Ravens, uh, I thought both teams played really well. I think that uh, the, the Niners defensively may have the upper hand on the on the rematch if they were to play again, let's say in the Super Bowl. Uh, I do think that. Uh, but as far as I'm concerned, I'm still a little bit concerned about Jimmy Garoppolo. But again, I will not say so much about Jimmy Garoppolo. I think it's his receivers. I think they're missing an adequate standout wide receiver, and really that. That's what their 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 situation. I think George Kittle can only do so much, especially you know with him dealing with his injuries the past couple of weeks. He can only do so much in terms of being a receiver. They could have to really. I mean, don't get me wrong. I thought Emmanuel Sanders would help them out to an extent, but I don't think it has. They're going to need a really standout receiver. Uh, at some point, somebody's gonna have to step up over the course of this season. Uh, at the number uh, at the number two spot, excuse me. Of course, we have the Ravens here at ten and two. Uh, they had that big victory against the Niners last weekend. Uh, this weekend, uh, we will talk about their key matchup. They have a they have an important one. Uh, but as far as I know, this is one of the best running offenses in the league. This is the top running offense in the league. We have Lamar Jackson, who's an MVP candidate, uh, who's definitely uh, looking. Uh, to, uh, I mean, every week he's improving his passing skills. So you have to give him something there. Um, defensively, they have a great pass rush. They have some good linebackers with C.J. Mosley, and then of course we've already talked about it. The secondary, Marcus Peters, Jimmy Smith, um, Marlon Humphrey. Uh, this is this is a really great defense. It's a really solid offense, especially running the ball. Again, like I said, the top rushing team in the league. Um, again, there's not too much you can do about it. Uh, do about what they can do. Uh, they can control the line of scrimmage. They can score on you. Uh, they're they're quick. They can be quick strike if they want to. And defensively, uh, they can they can force turnovers and get to the quarterback. Not too much you can take away from them. And finally, of course, I'm gonna give uh, the number one spot, of course, 
the Seahawks. Uh, their last game was a 37-30 win versus the Vikings, which I thought uh, was, in my opinion, for the week, the most impressive. Uh, again, I could have made a, I could have made a, spot, a case here for the Ravens, uh, but I, I just like the way the Seahawks have been, have been uh, looking as well the past few weeks. They are currently third in uh, overall offense and third in rushing uh, with 147. Uh, sorry, 143.7 yards per game. They are also 10th in passing offense with 264.8 uh, yards per game. However, they do have some injury concerns to be worried about especially on the defensive line. Uh, defensive ends, Jadavion Clowney, who's missing time because of the growing, and defensive end, Zeke Ansa, who's uh, missing time because of his neck, have been limited in the practice this week. Uh, there is no guarantee uh, about their status just yet. So that may uh, be be somewhat of a factor in this week's game for them. Uh, but let's move on. We're going to talk about three key matchups in the league going into this week. And like I said, uh, nobody, uh, well, of course, uh, there wasn't a key matchup last night, so we'll be all right. Uh, the first matchup here is the Ravens and the Bills. Uh, the Ravens coming into this one, of course, ten and two. The Bills coming to this one, nine and three. Uh, both of them have similar. Both teams have similar quarterbacks. Uh, that being uh, Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson, very mobile, uh, but they can make plays on uh, with their arm as well. I think uh, Lamar is a little bit more deft than that. I think the Ravens definitely have a more potent running game. So I think offensively, I could easily give the Ravens the edge defensively is where we're going to have the big questions uh, because uh, the Bills have a top five passing defense and their uh, their rush defense is nothing to sneer at as well. Um, if Buffalo is able to get a few turnovers, uh, they can definitely make this game uh, very difficult for Lamar Jackson and company, but I'm going to give Lamar Jackson uh, the edge, the Ravens the edge here. Uh, I think they do have a better, I think uh, the Bills may have the better uh, defense, but I, I think uh, Lamar Jackson can just make a few plays uh, and, and and really be the X factor in a game like this. I have the Ravens winning this one by at least seven points. Um, again, it's going to be a very difficult win for these guys. Uh, very defensive oriented. So do not, I mean, do not be surprised. Uh, this game is like a one. Uh, if, if both these teams uh, have a difficult time getting getting three scores or more. Uh, let's move on to the Niners and the Saints. This is a big-time NFC matchup. Uh, the Niners are in the quest for their division. The Saints have already locked it down. They both have the same record at 10-2. and two. Uh, The Niners have looked pretty good throughout the season. The Saints, uh, they like I said, they keep, keep they keep teams uh, closer and they keep teams within the game. I don't see the, the Saints starting off very, uh, very fast. I see the Niners possibly uh, having a fast start. Um, I just like the Niners defensively. I, I have a lot of love for Joy, uh, for, for Nick Bosa, excuse me, and those guys there, um, DeForest Buckner. I'm going to get the Niners in this, the edge in this one, and I'm going to actually give them a two touchdown edge in this one. Um, I, I don't see, I see where the, the Saints can score some points and keep it exciting. I just don't see where the Saints can win. Uh, finally, moving on, we have the Chiefs and the Patriots. The Chiefs coming to this one, 8-4. The Patriots are 10-2. and two. Um, With all that being said that I recently, what I said before about the Patriots and about Tom Brady looking average and human, I'm still going to give them the nine in this game. I like that defense too much. I don't really trust Kansas City's. Uh, I think uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot to be made about that Oakland game last week. This Oakland just has a lot of issues uh, in terms of offense. For one, we don't have a standout wide receiver. Uh, neither did the Patriots, but I, I will say this. The Patriots do have better receivers. I think uh, they definitely... In a way, they have a better offensive line than the Raiders do. They definitely have a better defense than the Raiders do as well. So I think I got the Patriots winning this one uh, by at least a score. I, I don't trust I don't trust uh, Kansas City's defense in a game like this. That's just my opinion. They're on the road as well. I think Tom Brady has some. He has a little bit something extra in the tank. Don't ever count him out. All right, y'all. I am gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll be talking some NBA action from last night. I got some news to go over there as well. All right, y'all. I'll be right back.
All right, y'all, I am back. Let's talk some NBA action. We're going to start off with some news uh, from around the league. The biggest news story here is about Kyrie Irving, of course, the Brooklyn, the Brooklyn Nets point guard. Uh, he's been suffering from chronic rotator cuff pain. He's recently missed 10 straight games and has been ruled out for tonight's game at Charlotte. Uh, specialists have told the Brooklyn point guard that he can miss up to three weeks or more. Uh, and this is a quote coming from Andrew Akito, the chief of shoulder surgery at NYU. Uh, he's been working with Kyrie Irving recently. You go on to say impingement, uh, typically uh, impingement, excuse me, does not uh, typically does not refer to an acute injury. It refers to more of a long-standing chronic issue with the rotator cuff. So again, uh, this is not something that probably has happened recently. This is more of something of wear and tear, and it's been here for a while. It's likely to stay uh, an issue for Kyrie, for an issue, unless they're able to make some changes. Now, it's possible that uh, Kyrie's rotator cuff is being compressed against the top of his shoulder blade. Again, let me repeat that. It's possible that Kyrie's shoulder is Kyrie's rotator cuff, excuse me, is actually being uh, being compressed against the top of the shoulder blade. So that sounds uncomfortable. I can imagine uh, you being very restricted, especially in a sport like basketball, where you uh, need to be able to make some moves with your upper body. Not necessarily, of course, and dribble. More importantly, uh, you have to be able to get around with some type of upper body movement. So uh, I can I can see that where that be. Well, that would be very difficult to handle. Uh, this is usually seen in older uh, and retired athletes. So, and then the issue uh, that I was seeing was that he's almost, uh, I think he's 28 years old. So this is not something you typically see in somebody his age. Again, like I said, it's somebody with somebody normally older, near the, near the, you know, near the point which they do retire or they've already retired. It starts to show up because it's almost like an arthritic type of situation. It's arthritic, uh, I believe they're, they're considered, his symptoms are considered to be arthritic. So again, massive pain that, uh, massive pain that Kyrie's going through right now. It's kept him away right now from the Nets. Um, and just coupled with all the the you know the introvert slash extrovert people issues he has and just the drama that kind of brought to Brooklyn Brooklyn's had some issues uh, but hopefully uh, at least from a physical standpoint Kyrie can get healthy for them uh, you know at some point in time to help him out in, in terms of the season uh, but let's move on to some scores from last night we're going to start off in the Eastern Conference where the Sixers get it done against the Wizards one uh, sorry uh, the Wizards get a win in this one excuse me 119 to 113 uh, at this point in the season the Sixers are uh, 15 and 7 the Wizards are now 7 and 13 uh, for the Sixers they were led by four Tobias Harris he would have 33 points seven rebounds and three assists Joel Embiid would have 26 points and 21 rebounds and Ben Simmons with that 17 points 10 assists and five rebounds for the Wizards they were led by Ford Ruri Uch Achimura the rookie Ford he he would have 27 points and seven rebounds guard Bradley Beal would have 26 points four assists and 10 rebounds and Ford Davis Bertans would have 25 points coming off the bench uh, the Nuggets would beat the Knicks 129 to 92 the Rockets will get the best of the Raptors 119 to 109 on the year, the Rockets are now 14-7. The Raptors are 15-6. For the Rockets, they were led by James Harden. He would have uh, 23 points, 3 assists, and also 7 rebounds. Ben McLemore would have 28 points, 3 rebounds, and 2 assists. And Russell Westbrook excuse me, would have 19 points, 11 assists, and 13 rebounds. For the Raptors, they were led by forward Pascal Siakam. He would have 24 points and 9 rebounds. Uh, he would have 2 assists to add to that as well. Guard Fred Van Vliet. Fred, Fred Van Fleet would have 20 points, 5 assists, 6 rebounds. Try saying that fa uh, fast three times. Fred Van Fleet. See, don't work. Fred Van Fleet. I got to take my time. Man. Anyways, and finally, Kyle, uh, Kyle Lowry, the guard, would have 19 points, 8, uh, eight assists, and also five rebounds. Uh, moving on, uh, we finally got the Suns uh, getting the best of the Pelicans last night in overtime. Uh, 139 to 132 is the final score here. Uh, the Suns are now 10 and 11, uh, and the Pelicans are 6 and 16. Let's break down the stats in this one as well. 
for the Pelicans, or sorry, for the Suns, they were led by a guard, Devin Booker. He would have 44 points. He'd also have nine assists and also eight rebounds. Center Frank Kaminsky would have 20 points and six rebounds. And guard Cameron Johnson would have 18 points coming off the bench. For the Pelicans, they were led by guard J.J. Redick. He would have 26 points. He'd also have four rebounds and two assists to that total as well. Drew Holiday, who was working at the forward position last night, would have 23 points, six assists, and seven rebounds. And for Brandon Ingram, would have 21 points, six rebounds, and four assists. Uh, we're gonna uh, before I let you guys go, we're gonna give you guys. I'm gonna give you guys an update on the standings right now. This point in the week uh, for the Eastern Conference, we have the Bucks, who are still on top. They are 19 and three, I believe. They've won 13 in a row. Yes, they they won their 13th in a row. Uh, the Celtics are now uh, the Celtics are second at 15 and five. The Heat are third at 15 and six. At four, we have the Raptors here at 15 and six as well. At number five, we have the Sixers at 15 and seven. The sixth place spot goes to the Patriots at 14 and seven, and the Nets and the Magic ring up the rear. This, uh, the Nets are 11 and 10, and the Magic are 10 and 11. Out west, we saw the Lakers on top at 19 and 3. Uh, they did lose two in a row last week, uh, two in a row during this week for the first time uh, this whole season. But they were able to snap that last night, or actually, the, I want to say the night before. Uh, they were able to get a win last. Uh, get a win the night before snapping that two game losing streak so they're okay they're still on top in the west at number two we have the nuggets here they are uh 14 and 5 at number three we have the clippers here at 16 and 6 at number four we have the mavericks here at 15 and 6 at number five we have the rockets here at 14 and 7 at number six we have the jazz here at 12 and 10 at seven we have the timberwolves at 10 and 10 and finally at the bottom we have the suns here who are at 10 and 11 all right, y'all, I'm going to take another quick break. And when we come back, I'll be breaking down some college football. We're going to be breaking down these co uh, conference uh, conference championship games. Okay, we have a lot to go. We have, we have a little bit to talk about. It's not a whole lot to talk about. But, of course, we're going to talk about that. Of course, we have the playoffs on the way for college football as well. This is the last week of, of college football. So we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about all this. It's going to be very interesting. Uh, the championship will be set uh, by Sunday evening. They probably won't let us know till Monday, but we'll know pretty. We'll have a good idea who's going by the end of uh, Saturday night. So we'll be talking about some college football right up uh, in just a little bit. All right, y'all, I'm back. Let's break down some college football. And uh, like I said, between today and tomorrow, we'll be having our conference championships. This is one last opportunity for some of these teams to uh, make a case for a playoff berth or even a very solid, uh, very solid New Year's Day ball game. So a very prestigious ball game or a playoff spot is the goal here uh, from today and tomorrow. We're going to be breaking down these conference matches for all the conferences. But let's start off with the Pac-12 title today that will be coming on at five o'clock uh, this is a match between number five utah who is at 11 and one and uh this is a match between number five utah and number 13 oregon who is 10 and two uh, for the tail of the tape in this one uh, like i said utah comes into this one 11 and one they pretty much ran rough shot uh through the uh the Pac-12 South with the one loss to USC. Oregon has had a couple bumps along the way. They took a bump, I believe it was the first or second week of the season to Auburn. We also had the loss a couple weeks ago to Arizona State, which we should not have taken. Um, just a just a brief uh, synopsis of what you might see in this game. I definitely like what you talk and do running the ball because again, I don't want to just say you know the Ducks gonna win. I don't want to give you a homer pick or nothing like that. I don't want to be biased or nothing like that. So we're gonna break down the keys to victory for both of these teams here. Uh, you talking definitely run the ball well with Zach Moss. They have a very capable. Uh, quarterback as well defensively they do have Brady Anai there who is their sack leader who is going to be looking to get after Justin Herbert uh, as far as the Ducks and what they have concerned they have a really uh, really stout running game too with CJ Verdell he's going to get the majority of the carries uh, but you also got uh, Abibi Likio who is a second string well I wouldn't even say second stringer per se but he's the third the, the third down running back or the short distance back uh, look for him to get some catches or look for him to get some touches there in the end zone that being Abibi Likio as far as the, the the passing is concerned for the Ducks, of course you have Justin Herbert there. Uh, he, as long I think, in my opinion, as long as he is 
is given some time in the pocket and comes in there with some self-confidence. I think that has a lot to do with it, too. Some games, I don't think he's feeling it or something. It's just, of all the quarterbacks that I've seen run this run this system, he just seems to be a, a very, and it's, it's, it's the worst opportune time. He just, he just looks to be like, a, like he's a fish out of water. Uh, of all the quarterbacks that I've seen conduct this offense, I'm not saying he's the worst, but I'm just saying he's, it, it, he's, he does not have the same self-confidence or the same. He doesn't carry the same efficiency somebody like a Darius, uh, a, a Dennis uh, Dixon did, or or even a Jeremiah Masoli to take the ball and be able to make a few plays with it. He, he's he's one of those like he, uh, unless the play is perfect, it was called perfect for him. He can't do it. Something about Justin Herbert, I I love him to death, but just something about him, he does not have that that natural ability that you would like to see in a run pass option like this where you would just be able to know where to throw it or know you know to take it and run or you know know which running back to give it to just something there i don't i don't see it officially there from him uh that's one night that i will give against oregon oregon defensively uh they played a lot better this year than they ever played uh, i think look for that to be an x factor as well especially with the linebackers that got slayed over there getting some tackles we got troy die there smacking guys uh as far as the secondary is concerned that's going to be the one place where utah is going to have to attack now uh with that being said this game is a wash to me because i i really honestly think you have to look at uh, for oregon you have with two losses you have to look at two things how do they perform was it less uh, out of the two losses you know what was their their worst loss of course you want to look at that arizona state game where they looked to be kind of out of sorts from the beginning they weren't able to score early uh, they try to rally back late uh my opinion that was the worst loss because again justin herbert looked to be tremendously out of sorts if utah's able to do anything remotely to that uh, by all means, you have to give them the edge. If we look at Oregon in their best loss, which was against Auburn, uh, we're looking at a team that pretty much defensively kept them in the game throughout the entire process. And I think even in the Arizona State loss, the defense were able to, was able to do some things to get them back into the game, at least get the ball back fourth, and even if it meant forcing a three, uh, three and out, even if you gave up some yards. So. Uh, and then you have to look at Utah, and their their one and only loss was which was against USC. Uh, and you that USC game was pretty close, and USC was able to win, you know, pretty much in the last quarter of the game. Uh, so I think uh, just knowing what I've seen from both teams this year, I think this game is pretty close. I think it does come down to the third and fourth quarters, and whoever makes the plays there. I think halftime adjustments will be key in this particular game here and uh just because uh, i i don't want to be the biased guy uh, i'm going to take i just have a feeling that utah can pull this one out i think it will be good for the pac-12 to have somebody represent them i'm not too sure how far they go into the playoffs but the pac-12 is going to want a representation in the college football playoff utah is going to have to win because utah is the only team realistically that has the shot oregon has lost that position they took that l to asu it's a wrap if utah loses there's no pac-12 team that, that has a chance at this point uh because there's no way unless unless you have to if you have like lost between if you have the, the 10th place team the 8th place team the 12th everybody above Oregon takes losses which of course is not gonna all happen I don't see how you do it a lot of people have to take some losses in order for Oregon to even be considered uh, if Utah gets a win here I think they solidify their spot because again you have to remember that fourth place team Georgia is well we'll, we'll talk about that game in just a second we'll talk about that game in just a second and the playoff rankings just so you guys can get an idea uh, but for Utah they are on the outside looking in um, so if they are able to win this game, they are the very first team on the outside. So again, if that number four team loses, which we'll talk about in just a second, they do have a spot to get back in. But let's move on. We're going to go down to the uh, the Big 12 title here. Uh, number seven, Baylor will be taking on number six, Oklahoma. This will be tomorrow at 9 a.m. Both teams come into this one at 11 and one. Both teams have uh, frenetic offenses that put a lot of put up a lot of points on on the scoreboard. Uh, both of these teams do have questionable defense. I would even say more so for Oklahoma. They give up a tad bit more points than Baylor. Um, with that being said, though, however, I, I like. I, well, I, and I do believe that these teams have already played against each other as well. The barn burner. So this one's going to be hard to say. Uh, expect a lot of points to be scored. I would not be surprised if we're talking, let's just say, 
at least 100 points between both teams. If I could go over 100, if I can go over or, uh, over or over or under 100, I would say, why not over? You know, both these teams have very, uh, very, you know, offense or pass-heavy offenses that emphasize scoring the ball quickly and deep down the field with, uh, with you know, with field stretching plays. So if I were to make a decision about this one, I'm gonna go just with the, the sure money, the, the team that's you know had a playoff appearance before that's one that I've seen recently win a big twelve and I know I could shoot I could be wrong for this but I'm just gonna go with what my gut tells me what I've known when I've seen had it before. I'm gonna go with uh, number six Oklahoma. Again this is gonna be a lot of points scored. I believe it has a potential to be over one hundred points. I see Oklahoma winning this one by five points to me by, by three to five points at the most uh but look for look for baylor to be up on that ass up until the very last minute this is one of those last whoever has the ball last deals uh wins type of deals that's what i see happening uh, up next, we have at the same time the Sun Belt Championship. Uh, this matchup is going to be, and again, the Sun Belt is a conference you, you might not know all about. It's one of those smaller mid-major conferences. I have had a difficult time keeping up with this one over the course of the years because there's just so much going on in the Power Five. Uh, but we have the Sun Belt Championship tomorrow uh, against Louisiana Lafayette and number 21 Appalachian State. Louisiana Lafayette comes into this one 10 and 2. Uh, Appalachian State uh, comes in here 11 and 1. I think Appalachian state is all around the better team uh, they've had a couple top 25 victories for for theirs for their sake uh for uh, la lafayette louisiana lafayette they run the ball pretty damn well i can believe i actually do know for a fact they're one of the top teams in rushing within that conference um but i'm going to take appalachian state in this one uh they've beaten a lot more credible opponents uh coming in at 11 and 1 i just i just think uh, they just have enough to get it done in that one. Uh, but we're going to move on to the American Athletic. This game will be tomorrow at 12.30. We have Cincinnati and Memphis heading at each other. Uh, Cincinnati is number 20 in the in the nation, and they are 10-2 and two currently. And uh, Memphis is number 17. They are 11-1. and one. This team has all, These two teams have already faced off against each other a couple weeks ago, which was a pretty exciting game. Um, I definitely like Memphis in this one. They have a lot of great players offensively, especially in that receiver department. You got uh, cats like Coxie, so on and so forth. Um, I think both teams can score. Again, this is kind of almost like a Baylor-Oklahoma game. Uh, you have a, a potential of that. Both of these teams can score pretty well. Uh, Cincinnati has a very great running game. Uh, but I have a, I have Memphis here uh, getting it done here. I, I just think offensively, they have way too many people that they can give the ball to. Uh, they even got one of their wide receivers who's a very good rushing threat as well. He can, he can break off and get a few plays as well. So I got Memphis. Uh, I got Memphis in, a, in about a 14-point lead in this one. I just think Memphis is a better team. Uh, at number, uh, we also have another important one here. We have the number four matchup between the number. Uh, we have a number four matchup between uh, LSU. Uh, I'm sorry, the SEC match, the SEC championship here is going to be really important here. Number four Georgia, of course, can be taking on number two LSU, and this is of course according to the playoff rankings. So again, Georgia at the bottom of the playoff rankings at number four. LSU LSU is, of course, right behind uh, Ohio State. Uh, Georgia comes into this one 11-1. I got LSU at 12-0, of course. Um, in terms of breaking this one down, uh, Georgia is going to come in here with one of the more solid defenses in the, defenses in the nation. I believe they are a top 10. LSU, same. Well, actually, no. LSU does give up some points. Uh, LSU is about 30th in overall offense. Um but they do score very well too. They are they are top in the nation in scoring. Um, this one is probably gonna be a barn burner as well. I just have it. I just have a feeling here. LSU gives up. A, I mean, I don't have a feeling. This is a fact. LSU does a, does give up a fair amount of points. Uh, the better the team that they play, the you know the better the team that they play, the more points they're liable to give up. That's just how LSU plays. But I definitely have Joe Burrow here as my X factor. I, I like Joe Burrow as a leader. I like that running game with uh, Edwards Alaire. I'm gonna ride with the LSU Tigers in this one. Again, that's why I'm saying this. This is a very important game uh, tonight for Utah to win because 
especially if you, LSU t uh, is able to beat out Georgia tomorrow, that opens up that that number four spot. Let's just be real here; it's more than likely going to go to Utah. If we're gonna if we're gonna use our brains here, and it should, it it should. If if uh, the number four two because again, Georgia is the number four. They take a loss again; they're gonna have to move down. So with uh, Utah coming off a. a, a Top 25 victory in a conference championship game, a top a victory against a top 15 team in a conference championship game, neutral site game. There's no reason that that Utah doesn't put itself into the playoffs. So it's very indicative that Utah gets this win tonight because it will pretty much set the stage for what happens tomorrow. Uh, moving on, we have in the Mountain West, we have Hawaii, who's at 9-4, taking on number 19, Boise State, who's at 11-1. This game is at 4.30 tomorrow. Uh, what can we say about this one? Uh, for those of you who know the Mountain West, let's just let's just call it like it is. This is Boise's conference of you to lose. This has always been the case. Uh, Hawaii does bring in a potent offense that, a that, that averages about 30 points a game. I believe they might have gotten an upset earlier in the year against Boise State when they didn't have that quarterback, uh, Hank Bankmeyer. Uh, but Hank is back. I got Boise in this one. Again, I have to see them lose a couple times in the championship game to, to not have them as a favorite if they're going to be there. I got Boise winning by at least two scores. It's it's that simple. Uh, let's move on to the ACC. This is another kind of gimme title here. The last couple of years, Clemson has just... Has, has pretty much solidified itself as a dynasty uh and, and especially uh, particularly this year the acc has not been uh, particularly strong uh this year in the acc championship number three clemson will of course be facing off against number 23 virginia uh clemson of course comes into this one 12 and 0 undefeated uh g is nine and three they've had some pretty good victories over the course of the year as well uh they are led by bryce uh perkins at the quarterback spot uh really competent passer um, I just think he's going to go into the lines then in this one. I, again, I, I, find, I, I just, and this is no, nothing, you know, nothing really against Virginia. It just looks to me that Clemson is just really com complete in all levels. Uh, I got Clemson winning this one by at least three, three scores. Um, I, I don't see it upset in this one. I just, I just can't see it. I just can't see it happening. Uh, but look out for this one. This one will be out. This one will be at 4:30 tomorrow afternoon. And finally, uh, we have the Big Ten Championship. Uh, Wisconsin was able to beat Minnesota last week, solidifying their uh, their player or well, their conference championship spot. Uh, I thought this game would be played between Minnesota and Ohio State, but uh, in the rivalry game, Wisconsin got it done in the game for the Big Axe. That's what they call it, Paul. Is axe. That's what Minnesota and Wisconsin plays for. Uh, that's why the rivalry games are important because sometimes they they decide things like this. And Wisconsin was able to win that game. And look at them now; they are in the Big Twelve championship game. Uh, however, this is going to be pretty easy for Ohio State. Ohio State has already blown off the hinges of this team earlier this year. Uh, I want to say like thirty-seven to zero was the final score here. I think it was on the road. No, no, I think it was in Ohio State. So uh, the Buckeyes coming to this one, I definitely believe, I know that they're a favorite in this one. I see them winning this one by at least three touchdowns again. Don't get me wrong. Uh, Wisconsin can run the ball pretty well. Uh, they have a pretty decent uh, quarterback in Jay Crone. Uh, they have a good running back with Jonathan, uh, Jonathan Taylor. I just don't think it's enough. Their receivers, it's not enough. The, the line, it's, it's not enough. It's not enough for whatever, whatever how Ohio State's bringing to the table. Just, just know this. Justin Fields, come on now. Uh, and, and and again, if the first matchup wasn't so much of a blowout, then I might give them a shot. But it was pretty. It was thirty. If I if it wasn't a shutout, then I think Wisconsin only scored one touchdown. So, I I I, I like Ohio State to win this one. As far as I can tell, just looking at everything right now, everything should go by the letter. I think the 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 favorite team is pretty much going to win in every matchup. I think the only the only game that's a toss a real I think the only game that's a real life toss up in my opinion. Uh, let's keep it real here. I'm gonna keep it real here. I'm gonna say Oregon and Utah. Actually, I mean if you want to make a case for Baylor in, in Oklahoma, that could be a toss up. That's actually there's a few toss ups in this one. Um, looking at it, looking at it uh, back again, I would definitely take Oregon and Utah as a toss up game. I think Oregon has a shot to upset Utah. Uh, Baylor Oklahoma. Oklahoma could go either way. We're already, I've already told you, I, I see it going uh, above 100 points in terms of both teams scoring. So um, 
that game could go either way. Um, as far as the SEC is concerned, I, I like Georgia. And I mean, not Georgia, but I like LSU in that one. I, I definitely do. I, I don't find I don't see an upset in this one either. Um, yeah, I think everything except for the Big Twelve and the, and the Pac Twelve, uh, I think that goes pretty much every, every every other championship game goes as it should go as it should. The favorite is pretty much going to win that. And uh, again, for for all intents and purposes, this is the last chance for Baylor and Utah to make their way because again, uh, Georgia's going to end up losing. I know it. Georgia's losing. You can say what you want, but Georgia's not going to beat LSU. And if they do beat LSU. Wow, <laughs> that's all I'm gonna say. I don't know. I, at that point, you got me. I don't know who's gonna make it at that point. <laughs> that's it. I mean, I, I can only make I can only make some decisions uh, based on if Georgia doesn't make it because I know that's more likely to happen. If if, if LSU loses, I wouldn't know where to start. <laughs> all right, y'all. I'm gonna take another quick break. My last break, and when I come back, I have another review for you guys. Today, I'll be reviewing Harriet. A very very uh, powerful very good movie i'll be talking about that in just a second all right y'all all right y'all i am back uh we're gonna break down uh harriet of course uh this was a biopic about the late and great freedom fighter Harriet Tubman, uh, conductor of the Underground Railroad. Uh, this film here was con- uh, was directed, excuse me, by Cassie Lemon. And the title character, of course, uh, Harriet was played by Cynthia Erivo. And again, like I said, this uh, story basically, or this movie basically talks about uh, the development of her process and what made Harriet uh, even even approach this situation the way that she did. I thought the movie did a good job of that. It was giving us uh, some flashbacks. Uh, you know, did a good job with the montages just to kind of get us going to get us to understand uh, where the th- where you know uh, what the world is like through her eyes. Um, we basically saw her development and what led her into becoming uh, you know. Uh, the black rose that she cla- as as people claimed her to be uh we saw her get married of course uh you know to her husband who was a free man at the time and um well she wanted to break free she wanted to have children and she did not want those children to be let's just keep it real here to be under the um to be under bondage and uh there was a situation in which her slave master uh played uh played by joe uh alwyn his name was gideon in the movie that's his name in uh, real life his real life name well the real life slave master to harry at the time was gideon brodus played by joe alwyn uh, there was a point in time especially well in the beginning uh where the they had realized at least harriet's family that she uh well she got married and she wanted to be free and there was an agreement that they would let her family go at some point in time or let yes let her family go at some point in time and he decided to renege on that uh this is nothing new this is what slave masters did uh forever in a day uh this is why it went from uh just indentured servitude which in which everybody when they when we start when the discussion of slavery does come up uh you know you always got some european or some white person say, well we it was irish people were slaves too this person was a slave too this is the reason again th- and this is the reason why it became specifically just black people being enslaved and it was a all-time thing because again you couldn't again there was indentured servitude and that's what the majority of these Irish folks and these Europeans that keep talking about they were slave were. You weren't the same. No. Surfing, if you were a surf in Russia, then maybe you might have a call, a claim here. I, I can I can understand if you're saying you were a surf, but a dentured servant, no. These people were forced to be here all their life, and they were actually, and in this case, with the Hillary, uh, this, sorry, I don't know why I keep saying Hillary, in the case of Harriet, there was an agreement to let her and her family members go. That didn't happen. That was reneged upon. That happened frequently in slavery. You could not do that in terms of indentured servitude because guess what? There was a contract there. That's the big difference. There wasn't no contract in slavery. Motherfuckers took you and you were supposed to work for them until they decided they didn't need you, which was when? Come on now. 
Uh, so uh, this prompted uh, Harriet to run. Uh, this time, the first time around, she did not end up taking her husband; would just be hurt, and she would travel all the way from uh, Dorchester, I believe it was Dorchester County in Maryland, all the way into Philadelphia, Maryland, I believe, which was a distance of 100 miles, all by foot, all by herself. Of course, she and she utilized uh, the Underground Railroad, which of course is not a railroad as we know, but just a connection of different abolitionists and uh, just good-hearted people who would act like, like I said. Uh, lead people uh, to northern states and eventually to Canada when the fugitive slaves laws, fugitive slaves laws were enacted. Uh, but the title character Hilly was, like I said, played by Cynthia Erivo, and she did great. She did a great job of. Uh, well, first of all, I, I, you know, she did a great job of encompassing the character. Uh, there was great uh, character development, despite what some people might say. I mean, how? I mean, the, sometimes, I mean, I, I think people just they they want to they 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 want to you know i don't i don't get it i mean how character development is is there i mean you you're you you're you're just a a slave and you not only have you freed yourself you freed your family that is the character development that you're talking about so i i i, I came across one review that said all this negative stuff about no character development but i'm trying to figure out how do you not get that how did you not get a character development here uh she started off as uh timid frightened scared but near the end of the movie she was imploring people that they needed to stay stay on the trail they're gonna die she was willing to shoot people uh if they weren't if they weren't willing to um fight for their freedom or they weren't willing to follow through uh for their freedom so again there is some character development get uh, character development here especially with harriet tubman she became a very uh, a very well uh well, matter of fact, she was a runaway slave who became a scout for the military. We already saw what that we saw. Well, if you watch the movie at the end of the movie, she's helping the Union Army fight Confederates. That's a character arc. I don't I don't that's character development right there. I don't know uh, what these these uh, big time critics be looking for or anything like that. But that's as, that's character development. That is definitely uh, character development from from uh, being afraid of your master in the beginning of the movie, being in a, in a victim mindset to being near the end of the movie, being uh, having your master, your literal master at the end of your your gun. And, you know, you're giving him the option of life and death. That's a character arc. I, again, I don't know. I don't know what these media heads are looking for or what they're judging. That's a character arc. Um, of course, uh, this movie is important because it gives you some insight into what's going on. It gives you some of the uh, active players at the time. Uh, of course, when Harriet Tubman makes it to Philadelphia the first time around, she meets up with William Steele, who in this movie is played by Leslie Odom. Uh, but William Steele is a well-known uh, abolitionist. He was a writer as well. Uh, he was basically responsible. He was the historian for this. The slaves, uh, when the slaves would come in, he would break. He would basically break down their stories. He would he would ask them what went on, and we have a history of slavery we have a dialogue of slavery because of that man here and because of harriet leading these people uh to freedom um we can uh we also uh we learned a whole and, and uh, one thing i think we learned about was i think people uh might it might have hurt a lot of people's feelings but again when i saw it it kind of got to me but it was a real thing we learned about the slave catching process we learned um that they even would use black folks to do it. Uh, one of the characters, uh, uh, Walter, uh, this is how he shows up. He is, he was working with another uh, black uh, slave catcher by the name of Bigger Long, and they're hired by uh, Harriet's family, well, Harriet's owner's family, to track her down. Uh, and, and and it's two brothers, and you sitting there like, wow. Of course, uh, Walter, he breaks away, and he begins to help Harriet. But it's just crazy because, again, you, you, you've heard it and you hear about it, you hear about how slick it is, you hear about, you know, you know, how the, the, first of all, you hear about the house slave, field slave dynamic. You very, very, very rarely hear about the black slave catcher dynamic. And again, it's, it's wide open. It's, it, for me, it was eye opening. I, I heard about it. I just never saw, you know, again, and again, it's a movie. So you don't, you know, hey, you know, it's Hollywood to an extent, but just to know that we was even, you know, it was all this black on black. It goes back. <laughs> it goes back all the way to slavery. You're like, wow! Like, we will we will be hired by the slave catcher to track down our own. Damn, ain't that about a bitch? Like, we, we like I, personally, I mean, and again, 
it's the time period of whatever um but again we got to see a lot of different uh sides to slavery um and and a lot of people they might complain about the slave because again it it, it reinforces a a, a, a a victim mindset uh reinforces some type of uh low functioning capability um but i didn't see that in this one i i saw initially that she did not i mean we knew from the beginning that they did not want to be slaves uh we knew that this family wanted to break free in one way or another they were willing to go to the master and say look we've had this agreement for years with you guys we want you guys to acknowledge that agreement they were willing to do that and when the the slave master said we're not going to do that we're going to keep you because again this is our money this is our livelihood they said fuck it fuck your livelihood and that's how i, I mean hey i'm not mad at that um again character what is the <laughs> again what what are holly what are hollywood you know is critics looking for <laughs> i mean this is a this is a movie about uh freeing yourself from slavery and running away from slavery i mean how how what are you looking for in terms of character development that's it you ran you're a slave you ran away from slavery you became a scout in the military you helped save your family you developed as a character <laughs> i mean again uh, a lot of the stuff i i really i really don't see here um not everybody i mean of course even you know characters like walter Gru, even the, even some of the auxiliary characters like walter Gru, he came in there like i said he was a slave catcher working with bigger long working to catch uh harry tubman he sees the planet they're going through I, you know, I don't, again, they don't tell us it. I mean, there's no, there was no real dialogue in the movie, I don't think, in which he said, look, you know, this is why I do what I do in terms of catching slaves. This is, you know, what I do. And there was no dynamic between him and Harriet where she said to him, at least in the course of the movie. So we don't know how it came about. And what she told him, hey, you know, or convinced him to join the other side. Or we don't know what necessarily made him join the other side per se. But he, he ended up saying, hey, this is wrong. I'm gonna help out my people, and it risked his life. It, it even risked his life. Um, and you get a chance to see how, uh, you know, the whole—at least in the northern states—you you saw the 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 white abolitionists that gave gave a damn for real. You saw them. You saw them making moves. You saw them, you know, doing things to help us out. You saw what blacks were doing to help themselves, notably through the trials and tribulations of what Harriet was doing. We were freeing ourselves. Uh, more importantly, and then eventually we became the soldiers that fought in the war that would free free us for one way, for one reason or another, whether it was for business, whatever they want to talk about nowadays. But uh, well, at least not. I mean, of course we know it was for business, but again, you know, we had to still be free. And again, the character development is right in front of your face. It's not that hard to see. I think Cynthia uh, Erivo did a very uh, captivating job of getting the, getting the character right. Uh, she it, she had her body. In my opinion, I mean, of course, you didn't see, you never saw Harriet Tubman, but she had the whole. She had it down. I mean, whatever you know, what was given to her, she worked with well with what she had. She worked hell, worked well with all that. All the historical evidence. I thought they did a good job of of, of depicting that. I think when you have a historical piece, unless 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 specifically the director or producer says this is going to be a specific, they tell you off the top this is going to be some sort of re reimagining. I'm expecting something to be historically accurate. More importantly, and for as far as I know, this movie as is, is as correct to the T as possible. So that's the most important thing. Um, I think a lot of the other silly arguments this movie might have that they, they might have against this movie, I think are petty. And I think if you watch the movie uh, for what it is coming in there with an understanding of who Harriet Tubman already is, uh, what time period we're talking about, what time period we're discussing here, uh, you'll enjoy it yourself. I personally gave it a 10 out of 10 because of uh, numerous factors, uh, but, but for one, it being, it being uh, extremely... Um, I would say true to the story uh, as, as much as they can be uh, as again uh, there might have been minor details that they might have uh, glossified for Hollywood because they do that but in terms of the plot itself uh, but in terms of the situation that you see the names and the dates that's all real and if we're talking a historical picture that's one of the main things that that make that make a difference uh, and Mr. Revo did a great job acting um, 
everybody involved in that did a great job. Uh, even the slave master, they were all convincing. We got to see a different side of the white uh, establishment, the white planner establishment. Uh, again, not not to say that you know you 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 uh, you humanize with them, but again, you know you just see a different angle. Uh, again, uh, the white the white the rest of the white planners within. Um, Gideon's community wanted to come after him and his farm because, again, Minty was his slave. She ran away and she was running a monk and having everybody else's slaves run and, and therefore affecting the whole white community there. So, again, you have to see that aspect as well. They were willing to turn on him and burn his farm down or take it uh, by all means because of what was going on with what they claimed to be his property. You need to check your property. So, again, you saw a very very different um sides to the story that you don't see in regular slavery movies and i'll give i'll give that to you um again it wasn't her begging for some white man to save her uh, wasn't her uh, you know like 12 years some 12 years of a slave type of shit no she ran um she found her way and uh, she was assisted along the way by black and white folk um and but eventually but again the original the original the original breaking free from bondage and this is the most important thing about it was and i think this movie did it did, did this right definitely it made the 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 fight for freedom again they they included white politicians they included white abolitionists don't get me wrong and i'm not you know whatever and that was a part of the movement but it made sure to let you know that harriet's harriet was inspired by her situation and without her initial movement nothing else really happens the way it does she really sacrificed a lot uh she went back and saved others that says that's as selfless as you can get she risked her life to save others and i think that's to me um it, it, it showed you that part and that is the most important thing that we need to work that we need to know about and we need to respect here no matter how um how cynical we get in the in the modern future no matter how uh cynical uh the, the internet makes you no matter how cynical the the alternate facts that you come across make you feel the reality was that at one point in time you were a slave in this country and the reality of point in this time uh, at this time is that you're still discriminated against in some way so uh the point is to not fall asleep to be awakened again and to be quote-unquote woke but the point is to be ever everlasting of everlasting villages you have to ever to forever in a day be up on your shit that's what we learned here that's what we learned in this movie here you have to be up on it and you have to be the one to conduct that change the white the white and don't get me wrong they were white abolitionists they were white you know whatever but without you wanting to be free, you don't get none of that. You personally don't experience it. You have to want to free yourself. You have to want to uh, uplift your own family. And that's what we saw here without, again, because we saw it with her own sister. Um, and we saw it with her husband. Um, Harriet's sister did not want to stay. She did not want to leave. She was scared. She was scared about what would be done to her immediate family, her child, and herself. But, but Harriet said, forget all that. I got to worry about the whole community as a whole and trying to save these all these people from this this bondage and and that's what she did um you also saw with her husband her husband could have left with her um but for one for some reason or another she talked him out of it he says i'll uh, she said i'll come back for you uh however the word is uh the word on the word around town about her got you know misconstrued and he believed that she had died he moves ahead and gets another wife mm. Mm -mm -mm. damn shame but did it stop her from doing what she was doing nah nah that's that's big evidence right here of of, of of why you need to stay up on your grind because again some people ain't gonna ride with you all the way to the end but you gotta know what's right and you gotta stick to it not everybody's gonna want to ride with you to the end but the ones that do you have to really be respectful for that and and, and uh and she did have help from a community um, around her. William Steele, uh, the white abolitionist around her. Uh, we also saw Frederick Douglass in the movie as well. So again, um, and even on the um, even on the uh, Underground Railroad, one of the first stops she makes was to the church. And the cold part is the slaves. They not knowing. They not knowing. Um, they believe that the the the, the, the preacher. Uh, 
you know, was anti running away, anti freedom for the slave. Was he? I mean, because again, I guess he must have preached something different on the Sunday service. Because you even had her brother like, nah, I don't trust the preacher. He said you, you definitely sinning and going to hell if you run away from your master. But it turns out the master, the the the, the preacher who said all that on Sunday and whatever day they went to church, at night he was helping people be free from slavery. He was he was helping people. He just hide in my church go to the next of the leg next leg of the journey after that that's what he was doing so um and again the whole and then you also got to see you got to got to uh, see the hear the songs you got to understand uh the planning that they went into and all the secret codes it's a it's a deep it's a deep movie and um i if you if you're into that type of stuff if you want to go to that 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 next level in terms of your understanding why not check out a movie like that i, I suggest it i definitely highly recommend it all right, y'all, I'm going to call the raffle today. Uh, if you are looking to get in touch with me, you can hit me up on my email at ljbutler75 at gmail.com. That is eljbutler75 at, uh, at gmail.com. Once again, that is ljbutler75 at gmail.com. Eljbutler75 at gmail.com. I also have a Facebook page and an Instagram page for the show as well at Johnny. That is E-L-J-A-M-A-H-A-D. J A N I. Once again, that is E L J A M A H A D J N I J A N I. I have a Facebook page for the show uh, directly as well at Never Out of Bounds. And like I said before, uh, over the course of this weekend and possibly, I should have it done uh, by the start of this. Week. That is the goal. Uh, the start of next week to have a uh, an Instagram page directly just associated for the show, just just directly for the show, uh, because a lot of what I'm posting on my Instagram anyway is show related stuff um so i'm gonna have a page directly related to that stuff there um and as far as i know that's a wrap for today but um i tr i will try to be back tomorrow to go over tomorrow night to go over some college football uh, to, to, to go over some conference championships in college football of course we have uh i'll give you guys a word on the street segment as well i'll get you guys updated uh on what's going on in the news cycle and uh and sunday will come around i will try to have a weekend wrap up for you guys on sunday night if not of course it will be that monday morning all right y'all i'm gonna call the wrap for today if anybody hasn't told you yet i love you uh peace out one love and i'll holla at all y'all later